Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five on the Floor podcast on the Five Reason Sports Network. Make sure to check out the new FiveReasonSports.com. That's spelled out, FiveReasonSports.com. Lots of heat content, game stories, also columns. We've got new columns from Greg Sylvander and Nikias Duncan on there. I will be writing, as will others. Also, the other podcasts in our network are there. Three yards per carry on the Dolphins, Five Rings, Canes. Of course, on the Canes, Balls Cast, Light Skin Opinion, Shula Bowl Podcast, Fantasy on Five, and more. And we want you to check out one of the new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. They'll be with us for a while. We're actually having a watch party there on December 4th, which uh, gives a new definition to the word watch party. We're going to be at the New Gold Club. We would call it a gentleman's club, but it's not just for gentlemen. They don't charge women. So this is a club for both men and women. They just opened their kitchen today. They're in Pompano Beach. They're open every day from 11 to 2 a.m. again in Pompano Beach. And they've got a few specials here. $5, you call it Monday. Also, Saturday is Ladies' Day. So women are always free, but you can buy a $10 glass at the door and you get $5, you call it, whatever you want, all night long. So that's the new Gold Club that's in Pompano Beach. And we're going to have a watch party there December 4th against the Celtics. So that'll be a great time. Alf and I will be on stage, but we'll just be podcasting. Anyway, now... Today's episode. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alphonse Sydney, a.k.a. Alf954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, back here from American Airlines Arena, I'm with Alex Toledo. Alphonse Sidney's still not back in town. I think he fled the country. But Alex and I are here. You can follow him at Tropical Blanket. You can follow me at Five Reason Sports or also at Ethan J. Skolnick. We come to you after a pretty dreadful game, actually. <laughs> this one wasn't a lot of fun. I mean, the, the Heat jumped out really early, and they led 59-37 to 37 at the half. It was actually a bigger lead than that at one point. They led by 29. And then it was just like slow torture from there. They end up winning 117 to 108. This begins a stretch of five games against losing teams where we think that the Heat can really put some distance between them and some other teams in the Eastern Conference. But Alex, the big stories tonight, and we'll get we'll break these down into five, but the big stories tonight, the Heat were shorthanded. The Pistons in some ways were even more shorthanded because they didn't have Blake Griffin, they didn't have Derrick Rose, and they came in at 5.30 in the morning. But my takeaway from tonight is this is the kind of game that the Heat have lost the past two years. So even though it was a 29-point lead that turned into a nine-point win, I don't want to diminish it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. These are the type of games the Heat have lost, like you said, except in the past, whereas maybe they didn't have these 25-point leads, they would have like 15-point leads throughout the game. And then towards the end, those runs that you know the Pistons would make would actually make it into a close game. And then from there, it's kind of just all over the place. But now, you know, the fact that they've got Jimmy there to kind of just kill the games whenever it gets too close, it's going to be big for them because they have lost just an endless amount of games over the years like this where you feel like they're supposed to win, they look like they're going to win, and then boom, they don't. So just the fact that they're able to beat up on these bad teams like we talked about earlier, the 305 Live, 
is huge. It's a pretty good indicator of a good team, even though the Pistons are coming off. You know, they're in the second night of a back-to-back. They came early, like you said. They're missing Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson, Derrick Rose. This is not an indicator of who the Pistons really are, but beating up on bad teams is not ever a bad thing, really. Yeah, so let's go through five things tonight. Let's start with Jimmy Butler. And we'll start with him because I, I feel like there's a trend developing with Jimmy. There's been basically three games this year that I thought he was aggressive from the jump. One of them was clearly, you know, the game in Phoenix where he was 9 of 10 in the first half. He had a big 12-point first quarter here in a home game. But other than that, it seems to be that he just sort of lets the game come to him and he almost doesn't want to shoot early in the game. Like, at one point in this game, he had four free throw attempts. Now, he ended up with 13. He ended up scoring 20. He took over in the fourth quarter when they needed it. But 13 assists and no turnovers. Now, I posted some of this on on my Twitter accounts tonight and asked Jimmy about this specifically because there are star players. LeBron used to talk about this all the time. Dwayne talked about it some, too. Uh, turnovers are part of the territory. And even Jimmy said sometimes he wants to have turnovers because it shows that he's aggressive. Like Dwayne used to sort of toss the turnovers in the trash because he'd be like, I'm not having turnovers, then I'm not trying to make plays for other people. But when you can control a game like Jimmy did tonight and have the 13 assists, and they weren't all cheap assists, and then, and again, the Heat had 34 assists tonight, which is just a crazy number out of 41. But to have the 13 assists, but not make a mistake that's recorded in the box score while also getting two steals, and you end up scoring 20 points on 13 attempts, which is perfectly fine, Jimmy Butler controlled the game tonight. And when I take a look at what happened in Philadelphia, there were some complaints I was seeing on Twitter where Tobias Harris was 0 of 11 from 3. This is going to be a storyline all season. The Heat took away a player from Philadelphia who is a closer, who understands how to finish these games. They're probably going to see each other in the playoffs. And this is one going to be my one of my favorite storylines of the postseason because I don't know who Philadelphia's closer is, but I know who Miami's is, and it was Philadelphia's closer last year. I mean, I love it. If that matchup does you know, come to fruition, it would be a tough matchup for Miami, no doubt, because Philly, you know, they're looked at as maybe the best or second best team in this conference. But absolutely. I've been saying this the whole summer, and so has a lot of people, that who is Philly's closer? Is it Joel Embiid? That's who they've been saying they're going to go through. They went through him tonight. I was actually (laughs) watching some of that as the Heat game was going on. I was watching the end of Cleveland Philly. And by the way, Cleveland is going to be more competitive than Detroit was tonight. I'm telling you that right now. They've been competitive since the season started, and it's been really weird to watch. But yeah, Philly's closer is Joel Embiid. And if he's not getting a lot of free throws, it's kind of just... Who's going to make more threes? Who's going to make more of those shots? Like, Tobias Harris, I am I still don't trust him as that type of closer that Jimmy was. We've seen what Josh Richardson can be like in the clutch. He missed a couple clutch shots tonight as well. And, yeah, I love this storyline because Jimmy has just turned into this completely different style of player that we've never seen before from him in his career. He has definitely been a good playmaker throughout the entirety of his career, but now he's turned into this guy who's become a playmaker first almost for most of the game. Like, What's his career average assist? It's, I, I believe it's around five. Yeah. And now I think it's around uh, seven or eight this year, if I remember correctly. This is a whole new Jimmy. And I think we were expecting more of a the, the, the diet in his shots to switch, but that's been the biggest change from you know his past years to this year with Miami. Well, and I want to extend this to the locker room because the stuff that people don't see is what happens, the interactions that we do see in the locker room. And Jimmy's not in there a ton, but when he's in there – 
there were a couple of things tonight that stuck out to me. It's the way he he reacts to the veterans on the team and the way he reacts to the youngest players on the team. So tonight in the locker room before the game, he and Goran Dragic are sort of playing around basically, you know, giving each other a little, you know, a little bleep before the game. And you can tell the mutual respect there between Jimmy and another guy who has, you know, been an all-star, not to the extent that Jimmy has, but been an all-star in the NBA. They just clearly like each other. And, and you know, I think at times you know, some of those relationships in the, in the Heat locker room have been strained, but it just seems like everybody likes Jimmy. And then you take it to Daryl Macon, who plays tonight on a two-way contract. Again, that would have been Dion Waiter's <laughs> turn tonight. Daryl Macon plays. He makes a shot, and he's giving Jimmy shit in the locker room because Jimmy always takes forever to do his media. And so Jimmy's keeping everybody waiting, and Macon is telling him to do his media, and he's like, you make one damn shot, you're talking shit to me? But you can, t- and then he's like, <laughs> "What do you say?" He said, "Put him back in solitary confinement." Like Jimmy, Jimmy was hazing Casey Akpala before the game because he told Casey to take Jimmy's shoes off for him, and he said that Casey would have done it if the cameras weren't on. People are going to take this stuff out of context. The way that they took the thing out of context the other night when Jimmy didn't like kind of Bam and the other guys getting in his his uh, video bomb shot, right? But that's the relationship that Jimmy's developed with his team. It seems like he's been with these guys forever. And I've said the thing that reminds me of LeBron, but it's even more positive and more amusing, is that LeBron used to deal with the 15th guy on the roster. I always noticed that. And Jimmy does too. And I think that's a big thing. I remember when Tony Douglas had to play some minutes a few years ago when LeBron was in there. It was the 13-14 season. And, he, and like Tony would talk so much about how LeBron sort of infused confidence in him. LeBron has this weird thing. I don't want to go too far off, but LeBron has this weird thing where he sort of makes stars into role players and he makes role players into stars. Jimmy has a little of that too, but again, I feel like it's less toxic. Like I I feel like he's trying to engage everybody in a more positive way. So I just thought Jimmy tonight was terrific. I mean, defensively, he's been great. The steals have been consistent, but he's not over playing the passing lanes. I feel like he's playing his man, too, and he's been terrific. All right, let's get to number two. You focused on this a little bit after the game. This ties in with Jimmy, but the connection that Jimmy and Bam have developed at this point. Now, tonight, Bam was 8 of 9 from the floor, 14 rebounds, 4 offensive. He did foul out and had the 4 turnovers, but had a couple of assists, got to the line, uh, two free throw attempts, 28 minutes, 18 points, 14 rebounds. But it's not just that. It's the way it's happening the best big on the roster and the best perimeter on the roster clearly have a connection. How far can that go? I mean, I think it's going to be their biggest action. I think Spa actually said it after the game that it's something that they go to a lot, the Jimmy and Bam two-man game. And I think it's got to be what they rely on the most on the offensive end, besides the fact that they're both probably the two best defenders outside of Justice. And it's obvious that their chemistry is there. Those are two guys who he supposed said that they're wired the same. Those are two guys who are very good at knowing where other players are on the court, knowing exactly when to make the right pass, which is not something that other guys on this team possess. And I mean specifically Kendrick Nunn. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Bam and Jimmy have just been awesome together. I expect it to get better, and I expect it to be more Jimmy and Bam pick and roll sets because I be, feel like they've been a little bit conservative on that end where they'll have Bam coming off of other type of actions. You'll see Myers screening more than Bam sometimes because Myers is a good screener. But that's going to be the, one of their biggest fulcrums of the offense because both of those guys 
get to the free throw line so often. It's going to be something they can rely on in the fourth quarter when they need to get a bucket. Bam is so good at getting others involved, just like Jimmy. And there's, there's so many different things you can do just off of those two guys. And I think that's that's the ceiling raiser, right? Is that they can really figure out playing with each other on a night-to-night basis, as well as relating it to the rest of the team. That's how you raise the ceiling of a team. Yeah, I was talking to Myers Leonard after the game tonight about how important it is to have a big who can pass. And Myers was saying that, you know, when he and, and Bam are on the floor together. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I think some of this applies when Kelly's on the floor with him too, that the creases are created because he's like, you know, the defender bigs want to sit in the paint. I mean, remember Hassan Whiteside, right? Andre Drummond tonight. Bigs want to sit in the paint, but you can't because, as, as Meyer said, he says, I'm a shooter and Bam's a playmaker. Kelly's a shooter and Bam's a playmaker. So the bigs can't sit in the paint. And so what's happening is the bigs get pulled out, and he's like, it directly affects somebody like Jimmy Butler or Goran Dragic because those creases are being created, and they can get to the rim consistently or at least get halfway there and create plays for other people. And that, again, is something to watch, and it is something I'm not to pick on Hassan Whiteside, but this is why the offense looks so much better. This is why you're looking at 34 assists tonight because the ball moves, but part of the reason the ball moves is because when it goes into the big, it gets back out. And so then it can continue to move from there, and that's not something they've had. All right, number three tonight, we'll focus a little on Kendrick Nunn. They needed this tonight from him, particularly in the second half uh, when things got stagnant. 37 minutes for Kendrick Nunn, had 20 points. Now, I was looking at the numbers before he had the breakout, and at one point – 51% for the first five games of the season. At one point through, like, like I think the third quarter of this game or halfway through the third quarter, he was at 32% in the last five games. So he had hit that kind of wall early in the season that you didn't know if he would hit. And as Spolster mentioned, I asked him about none after the game, but as Spolster mentioned, uh, that didn't even focus on some of the defensive breakdowns and other things that happened in the first half. Spolster said he was much happier with the second half tonight. It felt like he came out of it a little bit. He's going to have these peaks and valleys. But I think what we saw tonight is that the confidence was still there in the second half to keep shooting, and he ended up four of eight from three, four of five from the line, you know, six of sixteen overall, but ended up with the twenty points and the five assists and the two steals. Like the stat line looked more like it looked from the first five games. No Tyler Hero tonight, which gave him a little bit more leeway. But were you encouraged by him coming out of it a little bit tonight? So I was definitely encouraged in the second half where he just he started shooting lights out and he was just he had the quick trigger right and that's a good indicator of confidence and I feel like he wasn't showing that before but to me my concern with Kendrick Nunn was not his shooting I feel like he's been a good shooter since college and 
uh, to me, the real thing with him that he has to figure out as a rookie is when to shoot and when to pass. Especially in the first quarter, I kept seeing him miss a lot of easy passes. I think his timing is off as a passer. I, I don't think he's a natural playmaker. He's fine as a secondary playmaker, but without Justice there to be the point guard, uh, he kind of looks awkward sometimes doing it, especially against starting caliber units. And I would like to see some growth from that aspect as well. Uh, Nikai Duncan has mentioned a lot of times already that he's very aggressive as a defender and teams are using it against him. But uh, to me, on offense, the way that he's going to be able to be more consistent, not only with you know making the team better, but also making himself better with shooting, is if he knows when to shoot and when to pass. Because there's a lot of times where he's forcing the issue. He takes the floater when he's not able to make the pass to somebody. He always like sees the cutter or the shooter like a second too late, I feel like. And that's something that's going to come along with time. But, yeah, I, that's where I'm more concerned about with Kendrick Nunn. All right, we'll get to two more things here after this, but I want to tell you about one of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. It's the Seltzer Mayberg Law Firm. You can find them 24 hours a day. Anytime you have a problem at onecalllegal.com, that's spelled out O-N-E, calllegal.com. We share an office with them in North Miami. They handle cases, though, from all over the state, not just South Florida, although obviously they specialize down here. You can walk right in. And meet with them, all the great people there. They handle personal injury. They handle traffic tickets and just about everything else for you. they got a full staff to take care of you. So it's OneCallLegal.com. It's the Seltzer Mayberg Law Firm. All right, two more things to get to tonight, although I feel like we could devote 45 minutes to the entrance that Udonis Haslam had tonight, playing five minutes, getting a standing ovation, um, and, and scoring a basket. Udonis Haslam scored this year before Deion Waiters. We did not anticipate that that would be the case before the year started. But I want to talk about Mini-UD again, uh, the clone that they've, they've found here in Chris Silva again, <laughs> plus 17 in 15 minutes, three of five from the floor, nine rebounds, a couple of assists, did have three turnovers, and he fouled out pretty quickly, six fouls in 15 minutes. I keep saying it like they've got. I mean, and as Eric Spolster said, like he can't even practice because they're trying to they're trying to keep his days down because he's got the forty five service days. Like they're gonna have to make this a full contract, right? Like they can't. You're gonna send this kid to Sioux. I mean, he's gonna destroy people in Sioux Falls. Like you can't. You can't send him to. Sioux. And the thing is about it, they need him. They need, and not just tonight where they don't have James Johnson. But when you have, you know, the types of problems that sometimes Kelly Olynyk and Myers Leonard have on the interior defensively, like Silva doesn't even have to be a great positional defender. It's just that energy. They can't send him down right now. I, I don't know what the solution is because they can't sign him to the full contract until they clean out the roster. But he's a rotation player for them right now. He is absolutely a rotation player. I love what he's giving them. The fact that he was a plus 17 with six fouls, <laughs> it's fantastic. I love it. But he reminds me of like all the centers that the, he tried to sign throughout the LeBron years where he gets fouls so quickly, except he's actually good. Like he's athletic. He's running down the floor on both ends. Like he's just making all these hustle plays. Uh, and he's just a bully out there, man. He's in great shape. Goran and him have a weird chemistry that's kind of going right now where Goran has apparently figured out that he know he does know how to throw a lot of passes. It was always something he struggled with. 
And maybe it had more to do with Hassan than we thought. Because <laughs> I think, I feel like he, Twitter, including me, have always bagged on Goran for not being aggressive with the loud passes. But he has thrown a lot of them to uh, Bam and now Chris Silva. And like I said, I love what he's giving them. All right, let's get to the fifth thing here. We looked before the season at the Eastern Conference. And you pretty much could see that there were going to be six or seven teams that were pretty much playoff locks. And the question was what the tiers were going to be, right? So the assumption was, I think at least with us, this assumption was that tier one was the Bucks and Sixers. And then tier two, although a lot of people didn't put the Heat in tier two, we did. Uh, but the tier two was, you know, in some order, the Heat, the Celtics, the Raptors, the Pacers, and maybe the Nets, right? Okay, so what do we have here? We're now nine to ten games in the season for all these teams. The Celtics are eight and one. The Heat, Bucks, Sixers, and Raptors are seven and three. That's with Lowry getting injured, by the way. That's with no. Uh, no that's 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 with Ibaka that's with Ibaka being injured. That's with no Kawhi and the Raptors, who uh, to me are the only team in the league right now that is competitive with the Heat in terms of developing players. I, I think they're the they're the certainly in the Eastern Conference. They're they're the other team that's best at it. Uh, I think the Spurs make a pretty good case out west, but the Pacers are seven and four without Oladipo, and he got sent to the G League today, and he's going to be up soon. Like that, that's not going to take very long. The Nets four and five. I thought there'd be issues there. There are issues there. The Hornets are in the eighth spot right now at four and six. I, it's it's trash after the seven spot, but but I think what we're seeing is. The East is not the West. We know that. The West is not what the West was supposed to be so far. But it looks like there's six six competitive teams. I mean, and the Pacers, I mean, if they, they've won four in a row without Oladipo, Sabonis is playing great, particularly since Miles Turner went out. I don't know how long the Raptors hold off at this pace, but they've been impressive. They're well coached. The Sixers, the Bucks, we expected. The Celtics have been better than we expected. Is this a six-team race in the Eastern Conference? I mean, do you include the Nets there? And are we going to look at six teams all year long? I think it's definitely a six-team race as of the moment. I would expect that the Nets get there at some point, but it's kind of an awkward introduction with Kyrie Irving there because, you know, Dinwiddie is such a ball handling type of player, even though he is coming off the bench. Levert is somebody who was almost on his way to making the all-star team before he got injured last year. So I I don't think it's that crazy for them to be having an awkward start. But yeah, it's been everything we expected with that team. It's going to be fun to monitor all year to see who ends up there. That's why I'm saying the Heat have to win these types of games because these are the games that are going to matter when you're trying to determine seeding at the end of the year. And so who else are they, they've got coming up this week? they got Cleveland. I think they got Minnesota. No, it's not Minnesota again, right? They've got, uh, they've got Cleveland. they got New Orleans coming up on Saturday without Zion. Um, the other two escaped me off the top of my head. But there, there were four more winnable games you know, to get you to 11-3. and three. I didn't anticipate they'd win all of them. I, you know, I thought maybe go 4-1. and one. But again, last year, these are – I mean, look, they got swept by Atlanta last year, remember? Uh, how many games have they dropped to the to the Knicks and the Hornets over the past couple of years that they shouldn't have dropped? Like that, those are the types the of games. Playoff Hornets, the, the, well, the playoff Hornets right now, right? I don't know how that's <laughs> happening, but like, but yeah, I mean, these are the types of games that you got to win. Um, I I was a little concerned about the defensive effort in the second half. I mean, I, I think part of that was their own tired legs, although. You know, Detroit should have been more tired. Basically, they let Luke Kennard get off and, and Langston Galloway a little bit, but more so Kennard in the second half. 
but but I think that was more of a mental break that they took. And like but Butler said, Spolstra's going to work them in practice tomorrow before they get on the plane because they've got to get those habits out of them. But uh, just one more look at the box score before we go. We didn't mention Goran Dragic. This is now 8 out of 10 games. He's been in double figures off the bench, had 18 tonight, uh, 3 of 8 from 3, had 6 assists. So 18 and 6 for Goran Dragic, uh, but the leading scorers, Jimmy Butler, Kendrick Nunn with 20 apiece, Adebayo and Dragic with 18 apiece. They also got 13 from Olenek, who I thought looked better tonight. Uh, there's some good signs there. He had five assists. They were playing through him a little bit. He played 29 minutes. And Duncan... Launching from three. He, yeah, he looked confident tonight, which he, Kelly's going to be on the floor. He's got to be. Same with Myers Leonard. And Duncan Robinson, uh, three of eight from three, finished with 11. So six guys in double figures, eight from Silva, Macon even makes a shot. Four from four from uh, Leonard and two from Haslam. Luke Kennard led with 22 for the Pistons. And uh, look, I, you know, everything we see in the locker room is positive right now. And I just keep looking at the assist number. If you're racking up 30 plus assists on a consistent basis, your team's in good place. Your team likes each other because that doesn't happen if if that's not the case. 34 assists on 41 made baskets tonight. Shoot 53, 44, and 78. Those were the splits. You know, that's pretty damn good. Anyway, we will be with you later in the week. Um, Going to pr- probably bring on a couple of additional guests as we go forward, but uh, we'll be here at the Cleveland game later. In, uh, excuse me, the New Orleans game later in the week. We'll have full coverage at the Cleveland game. Check out 5 Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.